0: This is It Was A Thing On TV.
1: Punisher, control! Happy before I change my mind! I give you Super Train.
2: Oh, <laughs> episode 311, submission ot 42 The Baseball Network. The Baseball Network was a joint venture between Major League Baseball, NBC, and ABC for the 1994 and 1995 baseball seasons.
0: Hey, Greg? Yeah.
3: Phil
2: Rizzuto! Phil Rizzuto! You will not get that joke until 312, so.
1: Jared uh, Saltalamacchia.
0: Jared Santalamachia! Well, oh! Well, at least Phil Rizzuto at the time, he would have been doing Yankees broadcasts.
4: Yes, That's he right. would be. Holy cow, he was good!
2: Holy cow! Okay, but in 1994, Major League Baseball had finally returned to NBC and ABC after a five-year absence. Because remember, the last years for NBC and ABC with Major League Baseball was in 1989, before Major League Baseball would go to CBS for four years, which we talked about in CBS Sports 90, The Dream Season, and in the 1990 Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And eventually, we will do an episode in and of itself to Major League Baseball and CBS. But needless to say, well, the contract was a disaster at CBS. It was a $1.8 billion contract, as we, I believe, discussed in the 1990 CBS Sports Dream Season episode. Major League Baseball decided after that that they would go into producing the broadcast themselves and to market to advertisers in reaction to the failed deal with CBS. So on May 28, 1993, Major League Baseball's owners approved a new deal without CBS. So after a four-year hiatus, ABC and NBC would once again air Major League Baseball games under a joint venture called the Baseball Network. Which was a six-year plan with an option for another two years. Now, under this deal, MLB would receive 85% of the first 140 million in advertising revenue and corporate sponsorship from the games, and then 50% of the next 30 million, 80% of any additional money. Before this, MLB was projected to take a 55% cut in rights fees and receive a typical rights fee from the networks. When compared to the CBS deal, the baseball network was going to bring in 50% less of the broadcasting revenue. So this deal was dependent on advertiser revenue and the advertisers were excited about the deal and all the several changes that they were going to bring. So with this deal, NBC and ABC were able to create a loss free environment for each other and keep an emerging network which was already making a deal into the sports world, because in the previous year, in 1993, that upstart network called Fox made a major bid to get the NFC television rights from CBS. And, of course, we're talking about Fox.
4: As a result of the NFL moving from CBS to Fox,
2: CBS had
4: absolutely no leverage in what was to become the greatest broadcast network shakeup at the time, where Fox made a whole lot of deals with a whole lot of stations to disaffiliate from their networks and basically sign on to Fox because everybody wanted the football.
2: Yeah, that would become like a problem as this goes on. But I'm looking at Wikipedia. I'm looking at all the key figures involved in the creation of the baseball network. You see, like, Dick Ebersole and Eddie Einhorn and Jack O'Hara, the executive producer of ABC Sports. And, of course, Bud Selig, who was still the owner of the Brewers, but he was, of course, the acting commissioner of baseball at the time. Didn't officially become the commissioner until 94. And, oh, yeah, I forgot – Tom Werner was the owner of the Padres at this time. He hadn't owned the Red Sox yet.
4: By the way, that would be the same Tom Werner who has partnered with Marcy Carsey to create and produce many of our favorite shows. We're talking about A Different World, Third Rock from the Sun, That 70s Show, and the Mr. Black Show.
2: By Mr. Black, you mean the African-American Mr. Black? Yes. Okay, just want to be sure.
0: Hey, also, they were behind a previous entry, and since I love Greg's reaction to how bad I picked my money in the banks, they were behind You Don't Know Jack.
2: Yeah, that's right, they were.
0: Yeah, and don't forget, coming in March, Madden's Place, be there. (sighs) This better be good. That's
2: all I'm going to say.
0: I guarantee it will be better than You Don't Know Jack and the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. That's all I guarantee. So it's going to be number one among those three. Okay.
2: But you'd think that this would be the first time that MLB ever considered creating its own network. All the way back in 1988, Peter Ubaroff, who was then the commissioner of Major League Baseball, had an idea for an all-baseball basic cable channel that would show as many as four games a night and would actually, in the off season, air NHL and NBA games. So that would have been, like, something. I don't know how that would have worked.
4: You're talking about a baseball network that would air basketball and hockey in the offseason. Yeah. Sounds like ESPN.
2: Yeah. I kind of wish this deal would have happened because then we would have not had ESPN get the sports rights to all the major teams and who knows how different the sports landscape would have been because of that. True. So the baseball network would officially start its coverage on NBC with the Major League Baseball All-Star game from Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, which would be NBC's first telecast since game five of the 1989 NLCS between the Giants and the Cubs.
3: A warm July night in the Steel City. Temperature right now, 85 degrees as we're getting set for the 65th renewal of baseball's All-Star Game, the fourth time the city of Pittsburgh has played host the first two times at Old Forbes Field. And now this is the second time here at Three Rivers Stadium where all-stars like Willie Stargell and Roberto Clemente played at least a portion of their Hall of Fame careers. Hello, everybody. I'm Bob Costas. Welcome to the All-Star Game. Bob Uecker and Joe Morgan will join me for the call momentarily. This should be a respite from all the peripheral problems that surround baseball. It is the midseason classic, and let's hope that it is the middle of a full season. And in truth, baseball should be enjoying a renaissance on the field because right now the game is graced by the presence of the greatest collection of young stars in decades. We're looking forward to seeing them perform tonight.
2: Now, that broadcasting team, on the play-by-play, you would have Bob Costas on the play-by-play because, of course, NBC baseball. You got to have Bob Costas doing it. But he was joined with Joe Morgan and Bob Euchre as his analysts. I mean, makes sense because you have Bob Euchre, who, of course, the Brewers' primary announcer and a legendary name in his own right. And, of course, Joe Morgan was working for Baseball Tonight for Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN with John Miller. So makes sense because he would have, I believe, worked at ABC right when they lost the Major League Baseball coverage with NBC to CBS in 89. And doing the pregame show in one of his very first assignments for NBC coming over from CBS that year, Greg Gumbel.
4: Yeah, this would actually be his uh, first real baseball assignment since the previous year's College World Series, if I'm not mistaken.
2: And he also was the B announcer for, I believe, the last year of CBS's coverage of MLB. Because remember, he was also doing the NFL Today at CBS with uh, Terry Bradshaw. And then when CBS lost the NFC rights to Fox, he jumped over to NBC because obviously they probably had an opening at the NFL on NBC pregame show. And they figured, oh, well, Greg Gumble, we got to pick him up since he doesn't have a job at CBS anymore with the NFL today.
4: And Terry Bradshaw would have jumped to Fox to uh, be part of the panel of their NFL show.
2: Yes. So, of course, we have the NBC lineup. So on the ABC side, you had the same team... That was calling games when they lost the broadcast in 1989. You had Al Michaels back as the A announcer. And on the color commentary with him, you have Tim McCarver, who would have just spent four years as the color commentator at CBS, and Jim Palmer. So it makes sense. You have the old guard from ABC coming back like they had never left. So, okay. NBC and ABC are back in the saddle. Everything is going great. So I should mention that the idea of the baseball network would be that they would have, like, all the baseball games at one time, but you would get, like, a different crew depending on wherever your region is. So to explain the concept, I'm going to put in here Al Michaels from the very first – Baseball Network telecast on ABC on July 16th of 1994 from the Seattle Kingdome for the Yankees Mariners game. Explain the concept right here
1: hi everyone and welcome to baseball night in america i'm al michaels and those of us at abc are delighted to be back in the business of broadcasting baseball for the first time since the 1989 world series and it's a brand new concept we'll have six regular season games on abc including tonight and again on monday night then we'll bring you the division playoffs in october a part of baseball's new expanded playoff format and the World Series in late October. Baseball Night in America, a regionalized concept. You'll see a game in your region that's important to those of you in those particular areas. It also gives us the capability of updating games as never before. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the premiere of Baseball Night in America as we take you out to the ball games. So, of course, you have
2: a regionalized slate of games, and I have right here on wikipedia truth by consensus wikipedia all the different announcers for abc during this slate of games on july 16. so mike are you ready for this slate of games and who the announcers were can't wait okay well, let me start with uh cleveland and the white sox oh my god Oh,
4: no! Oh, no. <laughs> okay, uh, Mike, for the Cleveland White Sox game, you get, at color, Larry Sorensen, but the play-by-play, you get Hawk Harrelson.
0: Is this the first time we've mentioned Hawk Harrelson in 311 episodes? Yes,
2: I think yes, it, it is. is! Yes, it is. Let's just say it right now. Hawk Harrelson sucks. <laughs> Hawk Harrelson sucks
4: is a no-good jabroni.
2: He's a jabroni. He is the dirt worst announcer. He makes Chip Carey look good.
0: And, and also, weirdly enough, Hawk Harrelson is probably the first person we've talked about on this podcast who's had an alarm clock made after him. Oh, jeez.
2: <laughs> no, wait. I'm sure we talked about Keith Hernandez because Keith Hernandez had an alarm clock at a Brooklyn Cyclones game a couple of years ago.
0: Okay, second. There you go.
2: All right, so Detroit, Kansas City, you have Tommy Hutton on color with Tom Hammond as play-by-play guy, legendary announcer Tom Hammond.
4: Yep, and And for Baltimore and California on play-by-play, you got Ken Wilson, who is a veritable legend in and of himself, also a veritable legend in and of himself, the color
2: commentator Bert Blylevin. Yes. Or as Chris Bourbon famously said. Do it. Yes. Yes. I was just going to say
0: it. Do it. Yes. Bert, be
2: home by 11.
0: Yeah. Bert, be home by 11. <laughs> and That's course, one of his
2: best ever. Oh, one yeah. That was one of his best. But we also talked about him in the Rescue 911 episode because Bert had that Century 21 ad that we talked about.
4: Yep, he is what we call a journeyman ball
2: player.
0: But let's put respect on his name because he is a hall of famer. That's right.
2: And he has the famous shirt, which I won't say what it is, but he likes to do something. So for Milwaukee at Minnesota, you have George grand at play by play with George Frazier, former major league baseball pitcher, Boston at Oakland. You have Dick Stockton with Jerry Remy. And I think, wouldn't dick stockton have just ended his run at cbs believe i believe it? he would actually yeah because i think he would have left with football
0: and we should yeah. add uh r.i.p jerry remy he did pass away earlier this that's year.
2: right r.i.p jerry legendary in red sox lore yankees mariners we talked about al jim and tim toronto at texas you have steve busby Former Major League Baseball pitcher for the Royals and Buck Martinez at Color,
0: and he would later be Toronto's manager.
2: Yeah, and I believe he still does the uh, games this day on a uh, sportsnet.
0: Oh yeah, he has a good relationship with the Blue Jays. Yeah,
2: San Francisco at Montreal. We got Claude Raymond, former pitcher for the White Sox, Milwaukee team with the name that I won't say because reasons not the Brewers.
0: Because they're racist, unlike the Guardians. They finally changed the name.
2: They finally changed it. With, I'm gonna probably butcher the hell out of this. Camille Dubé? Probably Dubé. Montreal, probably French. Camille Dubé. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. But San Diego at the Mets, oh, my God, you have two legendary names. Gary Thorne, who would have been doing the Mets games on um, WWOR. And Bob Murphy, legendary Hall of Fame announcer for the Mets. He would have been probably doing games on WFAN with Gary Cohen around this time. And L.A. at Philadelphia. We got uh, Chris Wheeler, who is a color commentator for the Phillies, with Jim Cott.
0: And we should also add Jim Cott just went into the Hall of Fame this summer.
2: That's right. He did. Mm -hmm. Houston at Pittsburgh. uh, We got Lanny Frater. I think I'm pronouncing it. Lanny Fratari. Yeah. Oh, Lanny Fratari.
4: Yeah, he won the 2008 Ford – well, he was nominated for the 2008 Ford Frick Award by the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame.
2: With Larry Durker, longtime Astros announcer and former manager of the Astros. Florida at Atlanta, we have Atlanta racist name that I will not say announcer, Pete Van Wieren on the call. With Steve Zabraski, who would have – I know he announced it for the Mets at some point on WWOR around, like, between 84 and 89. I don't know what team he would have been announcing for it this time. He
4: broadcasted games for the California Angels and cover track and field for CBS and Wild World of Sports for ABC. In 82, Zabrisky and 82, Zabriskie and Nellie Bryles called the Angels Tigers for the USA Network. And in 1988, Zabriskie and Kurt Bevacqua called a game... Between the Giants and the Reds. So he would have been all over the place. And among his partners were Tim McCarver, Rusty Staub, and Ralph Kiner.
2: Wow. That's right. And remember, for all you dads out there, happy birthday from Ralph Kiner. <laughs> and father's Day. Oh, hold on a second. Speaking of fathers, <laughs> the jokes are going to write themselves at this point, folks. The Cubs. Oh, oh, the... Dear, oh dear God, no. The Cubs at the Reds. Mike, I want you to say this.
0: Who announced this game? You want me to say this with a straight face? I don't yes! know if I can do it. Do it. Okay. They got equal representation from both teams in spite of the names because it was Marty Brenneman and Tom Brenneman.
4: Sorry, yeah, Hill he- in the house. Yes, Marty Brenneman,
2: graduate of UNC.
0: Oh, that's sure stellar. That
2: sure says very highly about your institution.
0: But Tom Brenneman, he was very remorseful when, for some reason, Nick Castellanos hit a home run. Yeah, we don't know why he was so remorseful.
2: I have no idea.
4: No clue. No clue whatsoever. I am clueless.
2: You know what? It's a good thing gays in the military wasn't brought up on this telecast. Jeez. Oh, jeez. Okay, but for St. Louis and Colorado. Oh, my God. I guess this wouldn't be the last time we'd hear him on ABC. You had to wait probably another 28 years for him to call another game on ABC. Joe Buck, along with Dave Campbell, former San Diego Padre. And wouldn't Joe Buck have just gone on to Fox like later that year as an NFL announcer? Like, when did he start with Fox?
4: He started at Fox in 1994 at the ripe old age
2: of 25. Okay, so he's probably just there for the fact that he's doing the Cardinals games. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, obviously. So they need that local flavor in the broadcast. Obviously. All right, so that's the slate of announcers for July 16th. So for week two, I'm not going to go over all the games because – We take forever on this, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention this for Mike. Texas at Cleveland, Tom Hamilton as play-by-play announcer.
0: One of the best radio callers in the game. Seriously, if you have not heard a Guardians game or before this year, an Indians game on the radio, Tom Hamilton is one of the
1: best. A swing and a pop-up. Foul territory behind the plate. Luke Bailey is there. He makes the catch. Ball game. And once again, Cleveland, you will have another October to remember. The Guardians American League Central Division champs for the 11th time. And hugs all around between the third base foul line and the pitcher's mound as Cleveland wins it. In style, a five RBI game by Stephen Kwan, who capped it off with a grand slam in the eighth inning. Another
4: person we haven't heard from was calling the Minnesota at Toronto game, Jim Houston, who was the voice of NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada from 2008 to 2021.
0: Wow! So I wonder what team he was representing there. Definitely Mm. wasn't the Minnesota side. It was definitely the Toronto side.
4: Yeah. Well, he would be paired with Buck Martinez, who is also affiliated with the Blue Jays
2: organization. And then, of course, Baltimore at Seattle. Calling play-by-play, John Miller, who would have been doing the uh, Baltimore games at this time. And, of course, I already mentioned John Miller. He would have been doing Sunday night baseball at this time with uh, Joe Morgan. And now, of course, does the San Francisco Giants games on the radio.
0: Look at the Florida Cincinnati game. Now, look who's doing the, uh, oh, the color yeah. there. Oh, this is
2: a big one. Big one. Johnny Bench. Like, do we really yeah. have to describe Johnny Bench to these people?
0: Uh, Sure. Big hands. Great catcher. Great hitter. Host of the baseball bunch. That's all we need to say right there. And also,
4: nice suits.
0: Yes, nice suits. Okay, week three. Oh, week three. Oh, there's some good ones here.
2: Okay, Houston at Cincinnati. Calling the game on play-by-play with Larry Durker. You are looking live at beautiful Riverfront Stadium. Yep. Brent Musburger. Oh, hold on a second. We're doing the uh, Kevin Nealon... SNL thing with the islands with Brent. But, oh, Colorado at San Diego doing play-by-play. Legendary announcer for the Padres, Jerry Coleman.
0: Now, hold on. I know you're not going to skip over Philadelphia and Florida. Who's uh,
2: Okay.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Michael okay. Jack
2: Schmidt at color.
0: And the other game I want to mention is the Mets at St. Louis. Not because of Gary Thorne. But doing uh, the color, the mad Hungarian, Al Hrabowski.
2: Al Look at that face. We're looking at the picture of him on the share screen. That is a glorious face right there of Al Hrabowski on his Wikipedia. That's
0: one mad Hungarian. Yes. One of the real characters in baseball.
4: Yeah, you can hear him nowadays on Valley Sports Midwest calling Cardinals
2: games.
0: I love a good Al Hrabowski reference. Excellent.
2: Okay, uh, let's look at week four here. Now, oh, hold on a second. Before I go into week four, I should mention, and we got to let the elephant out of the room here, something happened in
4: 1994. Yeah. And it would have happened right after week four. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we we missed out on the Indians Expos World Series. No, we would have missed out on Tony Gwynn hitting 400. We would have missed out on that, too. You're absolutely right about that. And you know what we
2: also would have missed out on? An under 500 team winning the AL West. Everyone in the AL West in 94 was under 500.
0: Well, yeah, because uh, I almost said the Guardians. (laughs) Well, yeah, because the Indians, I think when the season ended, they were really close to being like near 100 wins, and they did get 100 wins in the shortened season in 95.
2: So they probably kept beating the AL West teams, you're saying?
0: Well, I'm I'm just saying they're weak. But also remember, they didn't do what they did nowadays where you play your division rivals 19 times a year. That's literally half your schedule. You basically played, I think, like, I'm guessing like six games against everybody more or less. And then I think within your division, you played a few more. You didn't play 19, I don't think. But yeah, some of these games. Even more new names, even maybe in the scheme of baseball, even bigger names on some of these games.
2: Yeah, Seattle at Kansas City. You got Dave Newhouse at play-by-play, late broadcaster for the Seattle Mariners.
0: Absolute legend. That's the one guy I was actually focusing on was Dave Newhouse.
2: Yeah. My, oh, my. And I think that's pretty much, I think, it for announcers from week four. Because NBC, I believe, was supposed to get the second half of games starting in August, late August, as a matter of fact. But because of the strike, they didn't get any games other than the All-Star game, so they were screwed. Yep. And they wouldn't get games
4: until the next season, but we will get to that momentarily. Because after they resolved the strike... They went back to the drawing board, tried it again in 1995, and this is what we got. It's basically a cut and paste of the first season.
2: Yeah, but hold on. Before we do that, we got to mention ABC did have the All-Star game in 1995 from the ballpark in Arlington. And it was Al on play-by-play with Tim McCarver and Jim Palmer.
1: It began as a one shot deal in 1933 in Chicago. And here it is, 1995, the 66th Major League Baseball All-Star Game. And for the first time ever, it comes to North Texas, home of the Texas Rangers since 1972, and to the ballpark in Arlington, a beautiful new facility in its second year. Capacity crowd of close to 50,000 to look on. The ballpark in Arlington, hosting the All-Star Game I'm Al Michaels and welcome to Arlington and there is really no need to rehash what this sport has been through over the past year it has been terrible. But the people who play the game and the people who run the game want to put everything on the back burner. They know the problems persist, but at least for one night, just concentrate on baseball as the brightest stars in both leagues have gathered in one ballpark for the annual Midsummer Celebration. They call it an all-star game, but it's really an individual showcase because when you think about the memories, they deal with individuals in 1934. Carl Hubble struck out five future Hall of Famers in succession in 1970. Pete Rose barreled over Ray Fossey for the winning run. In 71, Reggie Jackson hits an otherworldly home run onto the roof in Detroit in 84. A 19-year-old rookie by the name of Dwight Gooden strikes out the side. So when this crowd goes home long after they have forgotten who wins or loses, They'll remember some individual feet, and Tim McCarver, the way the ball travels in this ballpark, it might be a five hundred foot home run. <laughs> well, it's it's possible. As a matter of fact, that's what people look for when they think of the All-Star game.
2: And I believe if I remember that 95 All-Star game, didn't the National League win like three to two and like all their hits were solo home runs? Yeah, I seem to remember they only had three hits and they were all home runs. I think Piazza had one jeff conine had the winning home run and he was the mvp but i forget who had the third for the national league in 95
0: well while we're looking at that let's talk about some of the names that uh, did games in the 1995 season because i'm looking at this list and i see a few names that stick out and the thing is what i'm noticing about this uh, 1995 season versus the 94 there isn't the relationship if you will between the two teams See. You may have Buck Martinez, for example, not calling uh, a Toronto game or Tom Hamilton calling a Cleveland game. For example, what I mean by that is if you look at uh, Milwaukee and uh, Chicago White Sox, you have John Wathan. John Wathan was a catcher on the Kansas City Royals uh, in the 1985 uh, World Series team. And he's very closely associated with the Royals. So that's a little bit of a weird one. Look at the one below it. Texas at Boston. Look who's uh, doing color on that game. Oh, Joe Joe
2: Torrey. Yeah, Yeah, because I believe he would have just been let go as the Cardinals manager in 95. Yeah,
4: and then he would turn around and join the Yankees. And he's not known for Texas or Boston, so.
0: He would have gone to the Yankees in 96, I believe.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, because Buck Showalter was still the manager until 95 at the end of the season. But I have to mention, Joe Torre did do announcing in the late 80s for the California Angels. So he does have some broadcasting experience. So makes sense to put him here with Brent. And you mentioned, Mike, how the announcers might not in this season have like some relation to the teams as opposed to last season. Right. Chip Carey is doing Toronto and Seattle. And he That's has like a weird one. He has no relation to either team, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, Greg, in the past, you are wrong because Truth by Consensus Wikipedia says that Chip Carey was the Seattle Mariners announcer from nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety five.
0: But look at Cincinnati and Chicago Cubs. Look who's doing the color there.
2: Oh, I'm Keith Hernandez.
0: Does Keith Hernandez have a connection with either team? I'm pretty sure the answer is a big no. No.
2: No. Hey, Mr.
4: Tax Dermis, does Keith Hernandez have a connection with the Cubs or the Reds?
0: Nope. And then look at the bottom one, Atlanta at San Diego. Look at the color guy there. I know this guy didn't have a connection with either of those teams. No, he did not. Joe Garagiola. But yeah, uh, and that would have actually been a good game, Atlanta at San Diego, because this is Atlanta. They'd win the World Series in 1995, as much as I hate saying that. So, yeah, they got a good color commentator for that game. And San Diego would have been no slouch, I don't think, at this point, especially with Tony Gwynn. Was
2: Ken Caminiti there at this point in 95, or was that later?
0: Yeah, he would have been – his MVP, I think, was 96 with the Padres uh, because I know before then he was, like, with the Astros and uh, and some other teams, but I'm pretty sure Ken Caminiti was with uh, San Diego at that point.
2: And going into the July 17th slate of games, Oakwood, Milwaukee, Johnny Bench, and Joe Torrey.
0: That makes no sense. I'm sorry. No, it does Johnny not. Bench, no. Johnny Bench is a red. Joe Torre, even though he'd be a Yankee later, as you said earlier, he's primarily a Cardinal person.
4: Oh, by the way, I have the answer for you um, in the it's, All-Star game. Oh, nice hold on.
2: Five. Let me take a guess. It's Craig Biggio.
4: Frank Biggio, Mike Piazza, Jeff Conine for the National League. For the American League, it's Frank, that's New Genics, Thomas.
0: That wouldn't be for another 26 years, but who cares? It's a great joke.
2: Oh, I didn't even mention what happened in the 94 All-Star game. That was the All-Star game where Fred McGriff tied the game in the ninth inning for the NL, and then Moises Alou hit the walk-off in extra innings. And that ended the uh, seven-game losing streak for the National League. And then they'd have like a three-year winning streak. And then American League had that winning streak from like 97-09. NL had a three-game winning streak, and the ALs had a winning streak ever since.
0: But hey, let's look at some of those announcers for July 17th.
2: Yeah, let's do that.
4: Okay. Mets and Cubs. They have Keith Hernandez back. Now, that would make sense because he's a former Met. Cincinnati and San Diego, George Grant and Joe Garagiola would not make sense.
0: Well, also, hey, hold on. Let's remember that two days earlier, Garagiola did the Atlanta-San Diego game. So he's in the area. So okay. makes sense if you think about it.
2: Because wasn't he living in Arizona at this point?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. That, he, that he would was, be a quick
2: drive for him then.
0: Well, yeah, he was retired. And also, don't forget, a number of years ago, his son was the GM of the Diamondbacks. But also taking a look at some other people, just some names that we haven't mentioned. Florida at San Francisco doing color that game is Dwayne Kuiper. He's been doing San Francisco Giants games for seemingly ever. Oh yes, F- former Cleveland Indian and also San Francisco Giant, but he's been doing games. My gosh, uh, I'm guessing probably since around the time his career ended, which would have been what, probably about uh, mid to late '80s or so.
2: Yeah. Him and Mike Kruko on NBC Sports California, they're primarily, I think, next to Gary Keith and Ron, the second best TV announcing crew in baseball.
0: Oh, Kuiper's a good one, yeah. And also, another name we haven't mentioned, he did a few games before this for St. Louis at Montreal doing color. Again, somebody that has no association with St. Louis and has no association with Montreal, Billy Sample, who... I believe at this time was associated with the Royals.
2: I believe so as announcer, yeah. July twenty fourth.
4: Okay, I gotta bring this up here. Go ahead. Alright, we have a brand new slate of announcers for the New York Yankees at Texas game. We talked about Steve Busby, but doing the color, Bobby Mercer and Susan Waldman. Now Susan Waldman, legendary in the New York area, she was the first voice
2: ever broadcast. On WFAN. That's right, she was. And of course, she's been doing the Yankees games on color with John Sterling since 2005.
4: Yep, and Bobby Mercer, of course, legendary Yankees outfielder from 65 to 83.
2: Yeah, with some stints, I believe, in between with the Giants and the Cubs. Yes. Sprinkled in, because I think he was traded from the Yankees to San Francisco for Bobby Bonds. In Bobby Bonds' one year with the Yankees, like in 75, when they were playing at Shea. So August 5th, calling play-by-play with Buck Martinez. Somebody who I think we have not talked about. He would have been doing the Yankees games for MSG at this time. Dwayne Stats, who today is the primary announcer for the Tampa Bay Rays on uh, Bally Sports. And, yep, bo- and has been since their uh, inception. Yeah, 98. And I believe, Mike, I don't want to – I'm sorry to bring this up, but he was the announcer on MSG when Jim Abbott pitched his no-hitter.
0: Hey, I have no issues with that because Jim Abbott pitching a no-hitter is one of the amazing feats in baseball history.
2: That's right. And, of course, he was the subject – of one of the most legendary segments ever on Drunk History, when he was portrayed by the guy who played Matt Sarensen on Friday Night Lights, where he delivered this immortal line. Oh, that's nice that you're Cuban. I don't give a shot <laughs> For those of you new to the program, Greg loves Friday Night Lights. That's right. But you know what? I don't love it as much as I love Wings, which, of course, as I mentioned in episode 300, for the first time ever, I love that show. I love Wings because it made Tony Shalhoub's career. Can you believe it's now been 11 episodes since that was the first time we ever mentioned it?
0: I'm more amazed it's been like eight or nine episodes since you last mentioned it. You've done a very good job restraining yourself.
2: I have. Yeah. Yeah. You want a cookie? I should. I deserve something.
4: All right, going into the August 12th slate of games, we have somebody that we have not talked about yet, and I'm going to strain my brain trying to uh, pronounce this guy's name here. Kent Dernivanis.
0: Oh, that wasn't even the name I thought you were going to need help with. (laughs) I thought you were going to need help with Steve Fiziak. Oh, we'll talk about Steve Fiziak in a
2: bit, but let's talk about Larry Sorensen. Oh, I see why you wanted
0: to bring him up, because he's a former Cleveland player. No, I didn't. Even, I, that, I didn't bring him up. That was uh, Chico who mentioned. That was uh, me. Ken, yep. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. That makes
4: perfect sense because he used to pitch for the Brewers. He is calling a Brewers game. Yes. And uh, Kent Derdevannis, former voice of the University of Arizona Wildcats, and did Brewers play-by-play on WVTV.
0: Oh. oh. Okay, so there's a hometown connection there. Okay.
2: And Steve Siziak would have been doing San Diego Padres games at this time in 1995, but he's been doing the Kansas City Royals games with Rex Huddler, who he had previously done games with with the Anaheim Angels since 2012 on Bally Sports.
4: But Seattle at Kansas City, Mike, I'm going to need your help here.
0: No, you're not. You got it.
4: On color, Paul Splitor.
0: You got it.
2: Okay. Also,
0: yeah.
2: Paul Splitworth. Cool.
0: Also, another name we haven't mentioned who did St. Louis and San Diego. Uh, another name uh, pretty big in the baseball uh, biz. Jerry Royce. Jerry Royce. And you know what? His Wikipedia profile picture
2: looks like something that you would see on those, like... <laughs> something on, like, Shutter Shock or something that you'd have to pay, like... <laughs> like a like maybe 20 bucks to like use in like ads or whatever
0: No, you know what his picture looks like Greg? What? His picture looks like the after after he used NuGenix. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell was that? That's NuGenix. She's happy, he's happy.
4: <laughs> Did we talk about Bob Montgomery? For Boston at Seattle in the August 19th strand.
0: Uh, I don't think we have. And I have not seen his name till now, no.
4: nicknamed Monty. He played his entire career as a catcher, played six games at first base for the Boston Red Sox.
0: Well, looking at that August 19th slate, another name that we haven't talked about, doing San Diego and Montreal, doing color, Ken Singleton, longtime Orioles player.
2: And also a longtime Yankees announcer.
0: And he would have won a World Series in 83. Yes. Yeah, with the uh, Orioles, yep.
2: And uh, for Baltimore and Detroit, I don't think I've mentioned him yet. He's been on a bunch of games, but we haven't had a chance to mention him yet. Bob Carpenter, who, of course, notably is the announcer for the Washington Nationals. But I should mention, he has a legendary like scorebook that A lot of Major League Baseball play-by-play announcers use. And as most of you know, I do work for Collegiate Summer Baseball League out here in the Hamptons during the summer. And I may or may not use his scorebook for scoring games, especially because it helps because Collegiate Leagues, the stats are very important, especially for players who may be entering the portal.
0: Ah, makes sense. Another name I haven't seen uh, who did Florida at Pittsburgh, the color guy, Steve Blass.
2: Steve Blass. That sounds like a fake name. But he did pitch for the Pirates.
0: That sounds like a fake name, but he pitched for the Pirates. It does! Doesn't it
4: sound like a fake name? It does sound like a fake... Actually, no, it sounds like he's related to Bill Blass, the uh, designer.
0: I was going to say, he sounds like he's really def- uh, classy Freddie Blassie. Yeah, do I knew think, Greg would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Do, you th-
2: do you think he ever had breakfast with Andy Kaufman? Possibly? Maybe. And
4: that would be the end of the ABC run, because the next week, August 25th, we switch over to NBC for the remainder of the season. And they have, for the most part, uh, the same regional commentators, But for national games of interest, they switch off to the team of Bob Costas and Bob Euchre for their A-League.
2: Yeah, so Detroit-Cleveland, we got Bob and Bob doing the game. No Joe Morgan, I guess he's uh, available. Oh yeah, because Joe Morgan is doing Los Angeles and Philadelphia with Greg Gumbel. Yes. And of course, as we all know, Greg Gumbel, of course, is a bike cop. Never dispensing beach justice taste that that's the taste of beach justice do we have any notable names that we should mention
0: i think it's interesting that on play by play for san francisco montreal dwayne kuiper instead of doing color he's doing play by play
2: yeah And he would be doing that with Ken Singleton out in Montreal at Olympic Stadium. And then we go to the slate on September 1st. Oh, hold on a second. Oakland at the Yankees. Now, we've seen him a bunch, but I don't think we've mentioned him yet. No, Jim
4: Hunter, sports announcer most recently with the Orioles. He was an announcer since 1997. But earlier this year, they decided not to renew his contract. Oh,
2: that sucks. That sucks. But calling it with him, Keith Hernandez and Susan Waldman, which I get Susan, but Keith has no connection with the Yankees, obviously.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I think the Yankees would be the last team that Keith Hernandez would
2: call a game with.
0: I think it makes sense because it's New York. Right, Greg? Yeah. There you go.
2: So it's like, eh. It's New York.
0: Whatever. Nobody will notice.
2: Dick Ebersole's like, eh, Yankees, Mets, whatever. Pretty much. And I find it funny since Joe Buck did the ABC slate of games. He's now on the NBC slate of games with Dave Campbell. But, of course, as I mentioned in 94, primarily probably there because he's the Cardinals announcer. Not necessarily, because as I mentioned, he probably would have already been at Fox by this point doing the NFL.
4: Yeah, most of the people who are calling these games aren't being paid by the networks. They're being paid by the league.
2: Yeah, so they're league employees at this point, basically.
4: Yeah, only Bob Costas for NBC and Al Michaels for ABC, maybe a handful of others. They are network announcers.
0: Now, taking a look, another name that we really haven't talked about that much Uh, And uh, on September 8th uh, of 95, he did the color for the Baltimore-Cleveland game. Another name from the 80s, I do believe, Rick Cerrone.
2: Yeah, Rick Cerrone. He would have been doing a lot of um, Mets games for the baseball network with Bob Murphy. And Rick Cerrone, former Yankee, played like, I believe, one or two seasons with the Mets in the early 90s, right before he retired.
0: But still a known baseball commodity, yes.
2: Yeah. Do we have any other notable names from September 8th that we should mention?
0: I'm just seeing a bunch of repeats. I don't see anybody new. Okay. So... I
4: don't see anybody new either. So okay. let's go to September 15th. And uh, Bob and Bob are calling Kansas City of California this week. But aside from that, nothing new.
2: Nothing new. Oh, I don't think I mentioned Ted Robinson because we've seen him a bunch of times. Yeah, Ted Robinson, San Francisco, and Pittsburgh. He would have been doing games for the Giants at this point, I believe, in 95. And then uh, September 22nd. Oh, this is so weird. Mets Florida. Mike Schmidt is doing color of Bob Murphy.
0: That makes zero sense.
2: No. No. Like, did the Marlins... I know the Marlins had only been around for, like, two or three years at this point, but you couldn't really get, like, a Marlins announcer for this game. Like, really?
4: I have to wonder who the Marlins announcer would be in 1995.
2: I don't know. And then uh, for the last week of games... It should be notable for the Yankees-Toronto, because this was during the wild card chase. Because I remember watching this game. It was Jim Hunter with Buck Martinez. But I remember this, because this was, like, such a big deal here in New York. Because if you'll remember, the Yankees hadn't made the playoffs since 81. And this was Don Mattingly's, like, first, like, real serious attempt to try to get to the postseason. Yeah. By the way, I have that
4: answer. It would be Jay Randolph. So Jay Randolph was doing the TV side with um, Joe Angel doing the radio side.
2: So they couldn't get either one of them for the mets Marlins game on September 20th. Wait, wait, wait,
0: hold on, hold on. There's another name at that time who I bet you would do the Mets uh, at that point. Who? Gary Carter. That is true, because I know Gary Carter was doing Marlins
2: announcing. So that would have made perfect sense to pair him with Bob. But I don't know. NBC, you dropped the ball with that. Sad. Yeah, that's pretty much, I think, it for announcers for September 20th. So now, of course, now we're going into the Division Series. Now, remember, 1994 was going to be the first year of this format of the Division Series, which, if you'll remember, was actually introduced in 1981 For the strike season, ironically, because remember they had the first half and the second half winners fight for the division title and then the winners advance. So for this new format, you had the three division winners and the wild card face off in a best of five. So NBC and ABC would split coverage of each respective division series. So let's start with the 95 ALDS. For Seattle and the Yankees, which would be Don Mattingly's first and only trip, as it turned out, to the postseason as a player. But it would also be the MLB postseason debut of Ken Griffey Jr. So this was a major series. And this was when the Mariners had come all the way back to beat the Angels for the division title. Because they would have won the one-game playoff, I believe, the day before this. With the Randy Johnson complete game. And I remember it being so nuts. I think Luis Soho had like a crazy ass inside the park Grand Slam in that game too. I remember that. Never thought you'd hear a a reference to Luis Soho on this podcast. But there you go. But yeah, Seattle, New York for NBC. You had Gary Thorne and Tommy Hutton on the call. And game two of this series is remembered for being one of the most legendary postseason games that I can recall. It went 15 innings, and the Yankees would win in the bottom of the 15th inning on a walk-off home run by Jim Larritz. Fly ball. Yes, Debbie the Bat came through for Jim Laird and the Yankees that night. Thanks, Calvert, (laughs) for naming that bat Debbie. (sighs) But yeah, if I remember correctly, I believe at one point in the game in like the 12th inning, pinch running for the Yankees is a young Jorge Posada who I believe only would have played like in two or three major league games at this point, and they actually called him up from the bullpen to pinch run, which was kind of awkward because he had to run all the way from the bullpen to first base to pinch run. That was nuts. Just and a then, little bit, yeah. And then for ABC from Seattle, we got Brent Musburger and Jim Cott doing announcing and game five is one of the most legendary games ever because the Yankees had had a two nothing lead in the series going into the kingdom because yeah this was weird this was like the home team for the division series even though Seattle won the division hosted games three four and five which I believe changed in like 97 or so because major league baseball probably realized oh that's weird that the division winner doesn't get a home game against the wild card until game three. But yeah, Seattle would win games three and four and then in game five the Mariners would come back in game five and win in extra innings on a base hit by Edgar Martinez that scored Ken Griffey Jr. to advance the Mariners to the ALCS.
4: Then there was the other ALDS between Cleveland and Boston. NBC had the Cleveland games with Bob Costas and Bob Euchre. ABC had the Boston games with Steve Zabriskie and Tommy Hutton.
2: But, Mike, I should mention, game one of that ALDS has probably one of the most memorable moments in Cleveland baseball history where Tony Pena, I believe, in extra inning swings at 3-0, and and hits a walk-off against the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, maybe one of the most unexpected home runs in maybe not just Cleveland history, but Major League Baseball history. Tony Pena was not a heavy hitter.
2: No, he wasn't. And it even caught Bob Costas by surprise when he swung at 3-0, which I'll put the clip in here. So here's a listen
3: to the call. I've never had that opportunity. When you were active, your managers weren't that desperate. That's what I'm saying. When I was active... Oh, man! Old teammates sitting on a 3-0 pitch. And this team that won 27 games in its final at-bat, that had 48 come-from-behind wins, that was 13-0 in extra inning games, did all those things when Tony Pena connected.
2: Yeah, so even that caught Bob Costas off guard, that A, Tony Pena would swing at 3-0, And he would hit a walk-off home run. That was such a crazy moment, but an awesome moment, too, at the same time. So Cleveland swept Boston 3 love in that series. And then we go to Atlanta at Colorado. And, of course, this would be Colorado winning the wild card in only their third season of existence. And their first at Coors Field. Because, remember, Coors Field would have just started in 95.
4: Yeah, it took two, three years to move in.
2: Yeah, because they would have been at mile high in 93-94. to So yeah, you got Pete Van Weeren from Atlanta calling these games with uh, Larry Durker on color, which I gotta be honest, as a Colorado fan, I'd kind of be pissed if Pete Van Weeren was doing the games. Just saying. Because he's an Atlanta announcer, but Whatever. And then on ABC for game four, we have Al Michaels doing the game with Jim Palmer and Tim McCarver. And then for NBC, for Cincinnati and the Dodgers, Greg Gumbel and Joe Morgan for NBC in LA. and Then ABC, we got Al Michaels with Jim Palmer and Tim McCarver. Because that was a three-game sweep, if I recall, of the Dodgers. So that probably makes sense as to why they would move Al, Jim, and Tim over to the Atlanta-Colorado series. And then, of course, for the ALCS between Cleveland and Seattle, for games one and two of that series, we got Brent Musburger with Jim Cott. And I believe games one and two would be at the Kingdom, if I'm not mistaken, right, Mike?
0: Well, yeah, the Kingdom was uh, still being used at that time. Kingdom didn't close until, like, 99. Were
2: games one and two at the Kingdom? Games 1 and
4: 2 were at the kingdom, games 3, 4, and 5 were at Jacob's Field, and game 6 was also at the kingdom.
2: Okay, that makes no sense, because I know Cleveland won 100 games this year, so what the hell? Why didn't they have home field for that? Mike, do you have any explanation for why they didn't have home field?
0: Did it matter? We won. You mean they won? The Cleveland mm. team won, correct. Okay.
2: Good, the Cleveland team won. That's the correct
0: answer. Screw you and your semantics.
2: Pronouns, pal. But NBC for games three and six, Bob Costas with Bob Euchre. And then for the NLCS, which was a four-game sweep of Atlanta over Cincinnati. For the ABC games, we have Al, Jim, and Tim on the call. And then for the NBC games in Atlanta, we got Greg Gumbel and Joe Morgan. Okay, so here's where we get to the World Series between Atlanta and Cleveland, and boy, man, in 2022, boy, is this awkward to talk about, given the team names at this time. Yeah. But, well, Hopefully, <laughs> if you're listening to this in the future, Atlanta finally had enough common sense to change their name. Okay, just
0: call them the Future Guardians, if that'll make you feel better. Okay,
2: the Future Guardians against <laughs> the against the Atlanta team with the racist name.
0: The Atlanta baseball team. We'll treat it like uh, Washington's football team uh, back in uh, the last couple of years. Yeah. So Atlanta's baseball team. So so it's the future Guardians versus the Atlanta baseball team.
2: So if there was not a strike in 94, ABC would have had the World Series in 1994 considering NBC had the All-Star Game. But of course that didn't happen. So you have this awkward situation with NBC having the rights to the 95 world series. So what they decided to do is a make good was ABC would have the rights to games one, four, five. And I believe they would have had game seven, I think. And then NBC had games two, three, and six. So, of course, you have your A-team with Al, Jim, and Tim on ABC with those games. Then NBC, have Costas with Joe Morgan and Bob eucher And, Mike, you already know the results. I'm not going to spare you talking about that World Series, but, yeah, we all know the Atlanta baseball franchise won that series in six games.
0: Well, what are you going to do when their three starters are all three Hall of Famers? Yeah, pretty much. Well, not pretty much. Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and John Smoltz, all three are Hall of Famers, even though Smoltz, I think, may be in the Hall of Fame because he's a mix of a reliever and a, a starter.
2: Yeah, everyone forgets he was like a reliever like at that one point in the early 2000s.
0: But still, I mean, you, you've got three Hall of Fame pitchers there, and that's not even uh, giving credit to the bats they had on that team. And yeah, the uh, the former Indians... Uh, had good bats, and their pitching was okay, but their pitching was not Hall of Fame pitching. I mean, they had Oral Hershizer, who was sort of near the end of his career, and Dennis Martinez, who is definitely at the end of his career. It, it's sort of like the opposite nowadays. The Guardians, they have, like, no power hitting, but they have amazing starting pitching. So, yeah, you throw out Shane Bieber, Cal Quantrill, and Tristan McKenzie in 1995 – Maybe we win. Not that I'm not saying that they're as good as Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, but still better than old Hersheiser old Dennis Martinez, and probably Charles Nagy at this point would be your third starter. Or not necessarily your third starter, but the third starter of the three.
2: But hey, don't feel too bad. You get David Justice and Morquise Grissom two years later. How did this go wrong? Well, we mentioned the strike, obviously. But here's the problem with Baseball Night in America. Oh, yeah. Did I mentioned that the pregame show was Baseball Night in America, right?
4: Yeah, you did not mention the pregame show at all. So. No,
2: because I believe Hannah Storm would have done the pregame for NBC, and I think John Saunders would have done the pregame show for ABC, if I remember correctly. So the problem with the baseball network was most viewers could not watch like the important games because unlike today in the future where we can watch any game from anywhere on MLB TV and we have streaming apps all over the place, nobody could watch the game they wanted back then.
4: You were pretty much locked into that region's preferred game of the week. Yeah, And this would be a problem if you were living in New York City, or Los Angeles, or Chicago, or San Francisco,
2: or Texas. Chicago's NBC affiliate WMAQ was unable to televise any Friday night Cubs games from Wrigley Field, even though Wrigley Field had lights installed, and was prohibited from regular season Friday and Saturday night games played there. And things got so bad, KSMO-TV in Kansas City, the -the over-the-air station for the Royals, went as far as to sue the Royals for breaching their contract, resulting from their broadcasts being overexposed. And if a market had only one team, the ABC or NBC affiliate could still not broadcast that team's game if the start time was not appropriate for the time zone. For example, if the Detroit Tigers played a road game in Seattle or Oakland or Anaheim beginning at 8 p.m. Pacific time, Detroit's Baseball Network affiliate, depending on the network, which held the rights to the game, could not air the game because the start time was too late for the Detroit area. So this is just insane.
4: Yep, it got to the point where Tom Verducci, who was a columnist for Sports Illustrated at the time, he referred to the Baseball Network experiment as... America's regional pastime, because, you know, regional and exclusivity and whatnot.
2: And while being interviewed for the New York Times, Sean McDonough in 1993, who would have been doing the baseball play-by-play for CBS, was talking about the whole idea of the baseball network. And he talked about how this irritated him because McDonough, who's from Boston, who, of course, would have been doing the Red Sox games on WSBK Channel 38 at this time, said if he was to move, for example, to Atlanta and the Red Sox were in the playoffs, he could not be able to watch the Red Sox in the playoffs from Atlanta because he's in Atlanta. That's just like an example. But McDonough also said that his call in the 92 nlcs of sid Bream's slide to win the national league championship for atlanta against pittsburgh would not have had the same impact if fans couldn't see the whole game because if you had an alcs game starting at an earlier time and you got to the game later it might affect a viewer because you wouldn't have been able to see part of the game from the beginning
4: but aside from the regionality and the logistics, there was also a money situation here. Because again, what was the number given for at least the first year?
2: Cause yeah, I mentioned that this was dependent on advertising revenue, right? Yeah, at least twenty corporate sponsors. A hundred and forty million in advertising revenue that they intended to get in ninety four. Yeah, they did not
4: get that much money. And, you know, if you were affected by the strike, you could either give the money back or just write it off as a
2: loss. So, of course, in uh, 95, ABC wanted out of the coverage after basically a season and a half. And so... ABC sold their portion of the contract to Fox, where Fox would primarily just the baseball network experiment was over after '95. So Fox just got ABC's portion. They would just bring back the Saturday game of the week, and NBC would only have like all star game and postseason. They wouldn't even bother with any regular season games after
4: '95. Yeah. And I have the number that this whole enterprise lost. They lost $95 million in advertising and nearly half a billion, with a B, in national and local spending.
2: And I should note that five years after the baseball network dissolved, Bob Costas wrote in his book, Fairball, A Fan's Case for Baseball, that the baseball network was, quote, stupid and an abomination. Costas would write that the agreement involving the World Series being the only instance of the Baseball Network broadcasting a national game was an unprecedented surrender of prestige as well as a slap to the face of baseball fans. He acknowledged that the most impassionate fans in baseball were now prevented from watching as many playoff games as they wanted and said that the league championship series now merited scarcely higher priority than regional coverage of a Big Ten football game between Wisconsin and Michigan. When Costas was preparing to call the 95 ALDS between Boston and Cleveland for NBC, he told the New York Times that, quote, it's baseball's objective to market itself nationally, but the baseball network makes it a local sport. Baseball says the wild card is supposed to save baseball, but the baseball network shows you as little as possible. So yeah, it really doesn't help that one of your top faces of this experiment is basically burying it in the press. So yeah, around um, 2000, NBC's last game would be game six of the 2000 ALCS between Seattle and the Yankees, which, of course, NBC's portion of the contract would have run out when it did in 2000. And afterwards, Fox would have exclusivity starting in the 2001 season for network telecasts of Major League Baseball. Although, in recent years, I might add, in 2020, ABC started airing Major League Baseball games again during the postseason. Because remember, in 2020, during the pandemic year, we had that wild situation where we had 16 playoff teams and we had the best of three wildcard series, which we're getting back this year. But we had eight of them. ABC was permitted to air a select number of wildcard series on ABC. And last year in 2021, ESPN announced that a Sunday night baseball game between the Chicago Cubs and Chicago White Sox, which was scheduled for August 8th from Wrigley Field, would air exclusively on ABC marking the first regular season baseball game on ABC since August of 1995. And Al Michaels would join the broadcast with Matt Vasgersian and Alex Rodriguez via FaceTime during the forfeiting. Hold on a second. Mike, I mentioned Matt Vasgersian. Say it!
0: What's a heifer? What's a heifer? Think
3: about a... a, a Think
0: about
3: Think about a heifer having a hysterical What's time that? at a comedy club. Funny, 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 funny. A heifer. heifer? What's a heifer? Heifer, heifer, heifer. Think about a hyper. Run, run, Matt, run. Just run. Think about a heifer having a hysterical time at a comedy run. club. What is a heifer? Where are we going?
2: What is a heifer? Oh, Santa Maria. Santa Maria. Wait, what is this?
0: The Beach Report?
2: But I want to mention during this telecast, they actually did reference a lot of ABC's history with Major League Baseball, which was very appreciated. But if you watch the broadcast, the Chiron has all the graphics from the Baseball Network on the telecast. If you watch that game, which is nuts! That they would have all all things referenced the Baseball Network for their graphics package.
4: Okay, so this is a 2021 game. Yes. And they're using the Baseball Network graphics package.
2: Yes. That is crazy. And it was kind of great that they brought Al Michaels back for this. Oh, of course it is. Because, yeah, I mean... I know it seems weird now because he was with NBC from like 2006 until recently, and now he's on Prime with Thursday Night Football with Herbie. But it's like, I don't care. I still associate him with ABC. I'm sorry. Everyone associates him with ABC if you're like an old fart like me. But of course, in 2022 recently, we did get NBC back in Major League Baseball with the MLB Sunday leadoff on Peacock. And you got the basic concept of the baseball network done right because you have a national announcer in Jason Bonetti who does the games for the White Sox on NBC Sports Chicago. And on color, he's joined by a rotating set of broadcasters who have some sort of relation to the team that is being broadcast in the game. So I'm glad that they brought that basic idea from the baseball network, but they did it better in 2022.
4: Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking to myself, they just needed the time and the technology to perfect the art. So you have here in 2022, you have MLB TV, where you can watch every home run from every game. That doesn't have the same sort of pop, does it? Okay. And you also have MLB Network, you know, baseball's national pastime all the time. And yeah, it was just a matter of let's, have the technology catch up with us so we can offer what was supposed to be the baseball network experience
2: I mean if this was today in 2022 it wouldn't have been a problem but in 1994
4: and 1995
2: it was just a thing on TV yeah regionalized games causing havoc for fans Uh, If only we had streaming in 2022 and 1995. Not to mention the whole, let's burn all these (laughs) millions of dollars.
4: I'm sorry, how how much did this put us back?
2: Oh, yeah.
4: At least we have it nearly right here in 2022.
2: Yeah, kind of. I mean, you still have Fox doing games, but now you got... Everything all, like, different rights here and there. You got your Apple TV doing games on Friday. You have Peacock doing games on Sunday. You have, of course, the ESPN Sunday night game and their slate. You have TBS with their slate. You have MLB Network doing national games with the local broadcasts mixed in, depending on your region. So now in 2022, it's no problem. You can watch now any game you want. Oh,
4: yeah. Right now, I'm watching the Yankees hammer by a score of eight to nothing.
0: And I'm watching the start of the Guardians game, Guardians uh, with the Royals in town. The game that I attended, well, not the game, but the uh, first game of the series I attended last night. That's why I wasn't on. Oh, spoiler. I won't be on episode 312. Oh,
2: well. Let's hope you don't make a visit to Frankie Lasagna's.
0: Hey, (laughs) Phil Rizzuto! Uh, Phil hey,
2: Phil it's so nice uh, to come in in Toronto. Joe
1: DiMaggio. Hey,
2: Joe DiMaggio. Gerald Santillamacchia. Eww. Gerald wanted a very obscure reference for the podcaster.
0: But more about that Thursday. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: But anyway, you can hit a home run at our website. It was a thing on TV.com where we have all of our previous entries we are up to 401 episodes, including this one, of content. Because uh, last week, Mike and Greg, while I was doing Battle of the Brains, Mike and Greg watched a little film.
2: Yeah, we watched Mac and Me. And Mike, that was as good as advertised, wasn't it? Hey, check
0: Testa? Nope.
2: It was something, I'll say that. It was something. But you know what was so amazing? When the aliens came out of the fire,
0: <laughs> like they had come from hell, I I, I, I really don't understand it. No,
4: but like, you know I'll, what? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. All of a sudden, I feel like I need to go to McDonald's or something. Have I think a, I I think I deserve
2: a break today. Do you want to have a dance off at McDonald's? They. This
4: is the only way to solve a problem. Dance off. Let's go. Yeah. Dance off. Let's go.
2: Be there with these shades I got. (laughs) You can't see this on the television, but trust me, I'm wearing these sweet shades. Yeah, you you look
4: like a YouTuber who is specialized in conspiracy theories. The stuff they don't want you to know about.
2: Cool story, bro.
4: (laughs) Speaking of Thursday, tell us what we have going on on Thursday.
2: Yeah, Thursday we're going to be talking about an anniversary of a certain compact shaped disc it's
4: compact it's a disc you can read stuff off of it and it plays stuff off of it and the first one I ever owned was all for one back in
2: 1994 oh you swear by that
4: by the moon and the stars in the
2: sky <laughs> but you'll find more about that later this week right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with that episode on Thursday.
1: Rar! For it's one, two, three strikes, you out at the old ball game.
2: Dude. 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 Dude.